I hope everybody's doing well today. Good to see you all. Looks like quite a crowd here. I am blessed today to have both my kiddos here visiting. Uh, my son, Nicholas, and his wife, Hannah, from Hillsboro, Kansas, and my daughter, Corinne, and her boyfriend, Matthew, from Huntsville, Alabama. And uh, so it's been a blessed weekend for me. Um, I think they just came, they just really wanted to hear me preach. That's why they all came up. No, it's, it's been a real blessing. And uh, so I've, Sheila and I have surely enjoyed the last two days getting to visit with our kids um, so anyhow, if you want to open up in Mark chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 12, continuing our way through Mark. Um, I know Pastor didn't quite get through everything he wanted to get through last week, but um, I am going to, he assigned me this particular passage, so we are going to work through this one today. Mark 3, 7 through 12. Then Jesus went away with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan River, and around Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude came to him when they heard about the things he had done. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, so the crowd would not press towards him. For he had, for he had healed many so that all who were afflicted with diseases pressed toward him in order to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. Now some would, might say, well, why do we bother with this particular passage? You know, there is no great faith expressed like the Syrophoenician woman. Um, expressed. There's no great conflict scenes being expressed. In, in fact, this is a general, uh, you know, a kind of a summary type passage, and it could have been placed um, in Mark at any point in his Galilean ministry and fit within that context uh, very well. And, and, you know, so you kind of ask yourself, well, is this a summary of what preceded it? Is it a transition statement to take us forward? Um, or is it something else? The commentaries are split on that fact, and, and the commentaries don't even spend a lot of time uh, talking about this particular passage. And so you say, you know, why, why not preach on something more riveting like the, the conflict stories between Jesus and the Pharisees? Uh, you know, th th those, th those kind of things we can, you know, get into with some excitement. So why would we preach on this? We pay attention to passages like these because all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, te uh, rebuking, and training in righteousness. In fact, John writes in chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life. In his name. That is why we preach this passage. That is why we preach all scripture. Because Jesus is the Messiah. And this passage tells us about Jesus, Messiah. 
That's why we want to preach this passage. This passage is about the gospel being right there in the midst of the crowds. These crowds are coming, and Jesus is the Messiah, and the people are coming to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God, and the people are coming. They want to touch Jesus. They are coming because they want to be in the very presence of the gospel, even though they don't completely understand who the gospel is, what the gospel is. They want to be in the presence of Jesus, and that's why we look at passages like this, so that we don't forget. This passage is rich in Christology and the gospel message, so let's go ahead and dive in to this passage. We'll start by looking at the crowd. Who is this crowd? Then Jesus went away with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan River, and around Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude came to him when they heard about the things he had done. The first thing we see here is the enormity of this crowd. Just as all Judea and Jerusalem responded to John the Baptist in, in Mark 1.5, so now an even larger crowd representing every Jewish territory flocks to Jesus. The contrast between Jesus' um, pop, Jesus's popularity with the ordinary people and his rejection by the authorities, which Pastor will talk about next week in chapter 3, verse 6, is clear, but Mark does not draw this contrast simply for dramatic effect. The significant point is that although official Judaism has rejected Jesus, all Israel gathers around Jesus. This is a great, great crowd of people. It's not just an ordinary crowd. In other words, pick, I know today is the Super Bowl. How many of you are going to at some point be able to watch the Super Bowl or go home and watch the Super Bowl? I guess there's going to be about 100 million people viewing the Super Bowl. That is a great crowd. Okay, there's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people at the game. That is a huge crowd of people. You know, it, it, it's, it, it, it's bigger than Walmart at the first of the month. Okay, if you've ever been in Walmart at the first of the month, you think, why did I come here today? Because of the crowd of people walking through there. It doesn't even compare. And that this passage, it doesn't compare to the great crowd of people. If you've seen that movie, Field of Dreams, James Earl Jones tells Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come. And at the end of the movie, it, it, you see all you see is headlights of cars down that flat Iowa cornfields, and just car after car after car, they're just coming and coming and coming. It's kind of the picture you get here. The people are just coming and coming and coming. They're coming from all over. The crowd is huge. It was a great multitude such that Jesus had to have a boat ready to potentially allow him space to operate, to preach from, or to maybe even get some rest. If you've ever been the host of a large party at your house where you have to constantly engage with people, you've perhaps found yourself kind of slipping into one of the side rooms of your house just for a minute or two to kind of catch your breath, to say, okay, you know, I, I, you know, if you have to engage with people for very long, that gets tiring. 
Okay, now imagine Jesus. Here he is, and this is a great multitude. It doesn't give a number, but it's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of people. He fed 5,000 men plus however many women and children. It estimates as somewhere around 15,000. My guess is, is because of the verbs used, because of the, the way this passage is written, that there is even more people coming to this in, uh, pictured in this event here. Can you imagine more than 15,000 people? None of you have ever hosted a party with that many people. But you know that when you host a party and you are the host and you are constantly engaging with people, sometimes it's nice to step away even for a few minutes. You're not gone from the party. You're not, you haven't left the crowd, but you get yourself just a few minutes away and perhaps Jesus needed that boat so that he could step in there and just take a minute, okay? And take a, a, a minute or two because remember, this is Jesus in his humanity, okay? Oftentimes we read these passages and we think of Jesus in his divinity and think, well, man, he's got all the endurance that he ever needs. And certainly he has more endurance than you and I have, but he is still a human being. And the scriptures talk about he needed rest. It indicates that Jesus did get tired. Can you imagine having to engage with more than 15,000 people? Would you get tired? I would. I would. I get tired sometimes, and it's just, you know, me and a few other people. And I get wore out. So Jesus has his disciples, tells his disciples, have a boat ready. Maybe he would need it to preach from. Maybe he would need it to get some rest. Whatever the purpose, he tells it that the crowd is so great and they're pressing upon him that he feels the need to have a boat ready to help as he ministers to people. Now this crowd, where is this crowd from? As we read that passage, the crowd is from the entire region of Israel and beyond. Now, some of you still use actual Bibles. I, it, a lot of you are kind of like me, and I use my iPhone now to you know, bring uh, to look up scriptures and whatnot. But if you have an actual Bible, and you turn to the back of your Bible to the, where the maps are, and you look at the map of the, the 12 tribes of Israel as they, when, they were, when they came into the promised land, you look at that map. And you read this passage of Scripture here, you'll see that this passage of Scripture, the Jews are coming from all of the regions represented by the 12 tribes of Israel. That's a huge area. That's, again, why we read all of Scripture. You read all of Scripture because then as you read this one verse and you already know about how in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Israelites came into the promised land and in Joshua where he divides the land up by lot and you see where all the Israelites, all the tribes of Israel got their allotted land and you can now picture in your mind of where all these people are coming from. That's again why you read all of Scripture. So where are these people from? Well, they're from Galilee. This region would include parts of Samaria. And now don't get stuck on the fact that the Galileans followed Jesus and everybody else came to Jesus. Just mean Jesus was already in Galilee. He's already there in Capernaum. And they just simply followed him out. There's no big theological significance to the fact that the Galileans followed Jesus 
and everybody else came to Jesus, all right? The Galileans were simply, he was already there. They followed him to wherever he went, okay? That's all that that's, that's saying. But Jesus, uh, the Galileans come, okay? And that would encompass a whole wide range of area of people. Then Judea is listed. Now, it, it, this would probably the more northern area of what used to be the kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem is also listed, even though it is in Judea, um, and, and so it may be listed just because of the importance of the city or because it was the religious center for the Jews. People from Jerusalem were coming to Jesus. Idumea, this is the southern region of the former kingdom of Judah, or what, would be, what sometimes you'll read in, in the Old Testament called the Negev. Okay? Idumea was invaded and conquered after the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. by the Edomites. We all know who the Edomites are, right? Because you've read your scriptures. They're the descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, Jacob's twin brother. Well, they conquered this area of southern Judah. It's one of the reasons why God curses them in the prophets, because they didn't treat their brothers properly. But these people are coming. These people are coming. Herod the Great was an Idumean. Beyond the River Jordan... This would have been the area that the Israelites conquered that used to belong to Og and, and Sihon. Okay, and it was, used to be called the Transjordan. And it was given to the tribes of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. Now, during Jesus' time, it would have been called Perea or the Decapolis, which would have consisted of Hellenized Jews and Gentiles. So you've got nations coming. You don't just have Jews coming to Jesus. You have people from various nations coming to Jesus. This is more than just a Jewish thing. This is the world coming to see Jesus. Then Tyre and Sidon. This is a Gentile region in northwest Palestine, portion of which, which would have been allotted to the tribes of Asher, Naphtali, and Zebulun. So you see all the tribes of the area that all the tribes of Israel had encompassed are coming. And even though a lot of these areas have been uh, now Hellenized or, or, or mostly Gentiles living there, they are coming to see Jesus. The world is coming to see Jesus. This is a diverse crowd which included people with generational and nationalistic hatred for one another. We all talk about the, you know, how the Jews hated the Samaritans, but there was no love lost with the Idumeans. Okay? There was people that just didn't like each other, yet they're all coming to Jesus because what Jesus offers is for everyone. It's not just for the Jews. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles. And when I say the term Gentiles, that's everybody else who's not a Jew. What Jesus is offering is for everyone. And these people are setting aside those issues to come to Jesus. And the world is still coming to Jesus. I think about our own congregation here. We have people, you know, this is, Bolivar's not a huge place. But in this city, you have people that grew up in every part of the United States. And so it'd be like all of Judea coming here. All right? And, but not only that, we have people who are members of our church that are from other parts of the world. Other parts of the world are worshiping right here with us. Isn't that an awesome thing? 
And when you think about it, we have, this church is situated so perfectly with the university right across the street. We have opportunities. If you want, you have an opportunity. You can minister to international students anytime you want. There is, I think, like 60 to 70 international students from all over the world right across the street that you can have opportunity to minister to, to share the gospel with if you want to try to figure out a way to do that. The world is coming to the gospel. The world is at your fingertips when you think about the internet and everything else. The world is here. Now what is this crowd doing? They're coming, they're coming, and they're coming, and this is a huge crowd. But they're pressing in on Jesus, not in a hostile sense, you know, although the, the, this, this verb that is being used is wanting to express the strong sense of how they're just crowding in and trying to get to Jesus. But it's intended to, to just really portray the, the eagerness that these people have to just see Jesus, to just touch Jesus. I think of the times, you know, when, when I was uh, working in law enforcement, I had an opportunity once to work the AT&T uh, Pro-Am at Pebble Beach because uh, I worked with Explorers, and it was one of our fundraising events. They, they would pay our, our Explorer um, group to come and, and work a, the Pebble Beach, you know, AT&T Pro-Am. That was, this was back in the 90s. It was, it was pretty fun, I got to say. But you could just see the crowds of people coming to watch this event because not only did they get to see the pro golfers, but they got to see all the celebrities that were paired up with the pro golfers. And this was back in 96, 97, and so Tiger Woods was at his height back then. Kevin Costner's there. Bill Murray is there. All these celebrities are there. Jack Nicklaus was still playing. That was cool for me. You know, I was a Jack Nicklaus fan, but... But, uh, in fact, a lot of you maybe not even know who Jack Nicholas is, in, is anymore. But, uh, but you have these celebrities, and the crowds were pushing. And on the, the final day, I was placed at the, between the, the, the practice green and the first tee, up kind of by where the first tee was, because being one of the bigger guys, um, you know, they knew the crowds were going to be pushing in, and so they have us line up along the pathway because Tiger Woods and Kevin Costner were paired together, and you should have seen all the little girls that were wanting to just touch Tiger Woods. Oh, let me just touch Tiger Woods, please. And they would beg you. They would look up at you. Please, just let me get by. I want to touch Tiger Woods. And Tiger Woods is only a man. He cannot do anything for you. He can do nothing for you. He is a man, and these little girls are wanting to touch Tiger Woods. What can Jesus do for you? Jesus is healing you. Jesus is bringing healing both physically and spiritually. And these people want to touch a man, Tiger Woods, instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you can just feel the pressure. of You can see the lines of people. And, you know, and that's why you didn't put little guys on that line, because you know, the, the, there's like 20 people deep or 30 people deep just trying to push forward. And, and so you, they needed somebody that could withstand that pressure of being pushed forward. I also think I also had the privilege of working with in California with the State Youth Conference. And, you know, we, every year they would bring in uh, for one of the events a, a big-name artist. 
And, you know, I think of, we had people like Third Day and Rebecca St. James and, and, and Jeremy Camp and people like that come. And, um, of course, the crowds there are a little bit more manageable. We'd put tape out in front of the stage. And they would just come running up there, but they'd see the tape and stop as if that tape was some sort of, you know, physical barrier. It was kind of funny to watch. But we would still be up there in front of the stage because invariably you would get one youngster who would just be so excited they would want to jump on the, up on the stage. And, but you would watch them and they would be, you know, there was one year there was 5,000 young people at this event. And you just see the crowd just kind of, mulling forward and pushing forward the people in the front you can constantly see them get jostled around well that's what's going on the people aren't trying to be malicious about their pressing forward they just want to touch jesus they're just keep moving forward keep coming forward to touch jesus not in a malicious way why is this crowd doing that well mark 3:10 says For he had healed many, so that all who were afflicted with diseases pressed forward in order to touch him. Jeremiah 50 verse 6 states, My people are lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, guiding them the wrong way in the mountains. They have wandered from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. These people were hurting. They were lost. They were physically had physical ailments, they had spiritual ailments, they were lonely and they needed help and they saw in Jesus someone who could help them. They weren't getting help from anyone else. They weren't receiving the help that they needed. They didn't have shepherds that were leading them and they were desperate for somebody who would help them, somebody who would heal them, somebody who would take their their hurts and their pains and, and help them through that time. And they saw in Jesus, even though they didn't fully understand Jesus' true identity, they saw in Jesus somebody who could do that. They didn't understand what Jesus' true mission was. Um, they were just motivated by desperation. And they saw all that Jesus was doing with other people. And, and they saw that those who should have been caring for them were not caring for them. And they were lost sheep looking for a shepherd. Just as is true with any large crowd, there are multiple reasons people are present. Perhaps many of them didn't even know why they were coming, but they were coming. Of course, the vast majority, as this passage states, are coming because they have some sort of ailment, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual, whatever, they need to be healed. Some were coming because they were the ones helping family and friends who needed to be healed, just like the four men carrying the paralytic that Pastor talked about last week. They were coming to Jesus because they were helping a friend, a friend who had a need. So you have these people coming. Some were coming just to watch and see what happens. You know, Have you ever done people watching? It, it's kind of fun to go out and just watch the crowds, you know, and watch people do whatever it is they do. Sometimes they do some very funny things, some interesting things. You can come back with a lot of stories. Hey, guess what I saw today, okay? Sometimes they end up on YouTube and you're laughing or failarmy.com and and you start laughing. But, you know, people do funny things and it's sometimes fun. And so you have people that just come to watch because they want to see what happens. 
You also have wolves looking for an opportunity to steal sheep or kill Jesus. To make no mistake about it, with a crowd this size, there are people there with malicious motives that are coming to see, coming to see if there's an opportunity to to, uh, do something to harm Jesus or to do something to lead some of these people away. You know, the religious leaders didn't like the fact that Jesus' popularity was growing. They were already looking for ways that they could kill Jesus. And certainly they would be looking for ways that they could steer people away from Jesus. They didn't want the crowds coming to Jesus. And so you have these people mixed in with the crowd. And some were the disciples. They were helping Jesus by having the boat ready. Now these disciples, they never did understand Christ's role as the suffering servant until after his death and resurrection. But they did believe he was the Messiah. But the idea of a suffering servant of the Messiah for them was hard to grasp. Although they were true believers, they were still in the process of sanctification. A song we sang, or, or the, what we read about today in the Baptist Faith and Message, they were still in the process of being sanctified. But they were true believers. And I, get, I would be, be willing to bet money that everybody here has something that they can identify with in this list. Maybe you're hurting and you need some healing. You have physical ailments or emotional ailments, whatever's going on in your life. You have difficulties going on in your life. And you need healing. Maybe there's some wolves in here. I hope not, but, but there's wolves everywhere seeking to destroy, to kill, and to steal. Maybe you're just an observer. Whatever it is, there are people, you, some, you, everyone here can ad- identify with, with somebody on this list. Matthew, uh, um, so this crowd arrived and continues to arrive because of the message that's being delivered. And Matthew puts it succinctly in, in using, Jesus' own words, and Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Isn't that an awesome message? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. This is the message that Jesus has been preaching all along. This is the message that Mark has been pointing out all through the, the other chapters we've been looking at. Okay, you look and see what Jesus has been doing up to this point. Mark 1, 21 to 28, Jesus is teaching and healing. He heals a demon-possessed man right there in the synagogue. Mark 1, 29, 34 and 39, teaching and healing Simon's mother-in-law and many who were sick and demon-possessed. Mark 1, 40 to 45, he heals the leper. Mark 2, 1 through 12, he's teaching and healing the paralytic. The physic, he's, he's healing physically uh, physical ailments and spiritual ailments. Mark 2, 13 through 17, he's healing the spiritually sick. And in Mark 3, 1 through 6, he's teaching and healing, including the man with the withered hand in the synagogue. And again, pastor will be preaching on that, so I'm not going to steal his thunder on that. But, but he's, he, he's teaching and healing all. That's what he's doing. Because of his own motivation. Matthew 9, 36 says... When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus Christ has compassion on the people. He has compassion. Mark 138, 
uh, Jesus states, Let us go elsewhere into the surrounding villages so that I can preach there too. For that is what I came here to do. To preach the gospel. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. What do you think Jesus is doing right here? We've already talked about how hard it is to continually engage with people. And yet here's Jesus with this great multitude coming from all the nations. And Jesus is right there in their midst healing and preaching and teaching. And I say preaching and teaching because even though this passage doesn't specifically say that, I can't imagine that Jesus would not be preaching like any good Southern Baptist preacher. Okay, he would be preaching. You got a crowd, he's going to preach. And you're laughing because you're thinking, I'm talking about Southern Baptist SBC here in America, but Jesus was baptized towards the southern end of the Jordan River. He's a Southern Baptist preacher. I know, that's a dad joke. My daughter's cringing back there. Dad jokes. Uh, Jesus never, I don't think Jesus ever missed an opportunity to preach to the crowd, not because he, he was some great preacher, not because he wanted the adulation for his preaching, but because of the message that he has. He has a message of hope for people. He has the gospel for people. He has a message that says to them, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, you who are suffering, because I am the bread of life. Come to me, you who are seeking for for what life is all about, because I will give you eternal life if you believe in me. Jesus' message is the only message that saves. And that's why people were coming. They didn't really understand that. But they're coming because Jesus' message is about hope. Hope for people who are lost. Hope for people who are hurting. Hope for people who are in need. Pastor said something last week that bears repeating. He stated, Jesus' identity provides hope. Because Jesus is the gospel. This passage is all about the gospel. We see Jesus as the suffering servant. Like I said, he's, we, he's already there engaging with thousands and thousands of people. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the Messiah, and Mark is making this clear that the Messiah has come to serve, just as the prophet Isaiah has written. Isaiah 42.1, this is my servant, I strengthen him. This is my chosen one, this is God speaking. This is my chosen one, I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. In Isaiah 53.11, again, God speaking, he will see it out of his anguish and he will be satisfied with his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will carry their iniquities. Jesus is the servant that is carrying our iniquities. Jesus is the servant that took our stripes. Jesus is the servant that died for our sins so that we don't have to. Mark is portraying Jesus as the suffering servant. But not just that. Mark is also making it clear that Jesus Messiah is the Son of God. Verse 11, And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he sternly ordered them not to make him known. 
These demons, they recognize Jesus for who he was. And recognizing his authority, they are compelled to bow and confess. They can't help it. They are compelled because God is right there in their midst and they have no choice but to bow and confess. They do not confess Jesus as their Lord, but they do confess his identity. The verbiage of Jesus' stern warning acknowledges the truthfulness of their statement even though it was not time for the revelation, and that's why he tells them to be quiet. This passage implicitly reveals the humanity of Jesus and explicitly reveals his deity. Jesus is both God and man. He had to be both God and man to be able to suffer and die for our sins on the cross. That's why I say this passage is rich in Christology. We can understand how the Son of Man and the Son of God are the same person, and it has to be that way for him to die on the cross for our sins. He had to be made like us in every way to do that. Now it is the reverse. You know, this the you know Mark in this passage is is you know uh, the veiled reference for Jesus' humanity and the. Um, express statement of his deity but we saw the reverse in the story of the paralytic there mark has express has expressly recognized the humanity of jesus because it is a man standing there saying to that paralytic your sins are forgiven and everybody acknowledges that jesus is a man standing there saying that your sins are forgiven and yet here come the pharisees and their statement of only god can forgive sins Man, that's an implicit recognition of who Jesus is. That's like a big curveball hanging for you to hit out of the park. You have Jesus as fully man and Jesus as God because only God can forgive sins. The Pharisee's statement is absolutely true. Only God can forgive sins. And yet there's Jesus, a man, standing there telling the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And to prove it, he says, get up, take your mat, and walk. And the man does so. Jesus is both God and man. Perhaps Paul's great Christological statement in Philippians kind of help us make this connection. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. You have no better statement than that. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He is the only one that can save you. Not some celebrity, not some athlete. We're going to, I hope we see a great game today, and there's some wonderful athletes playing that game, but none of them can give you anything, anything that even comes close to comparing to what Jesus gives you. 
They can provide you with a little bit of entertainment, but Jesus gives you eternal life. They can provide you with maybe even some fodder for conversation because some of their antics, but Jesus gives you eternal healing. The commercials are going to probably be have some funny and good commercials today. But those commercials have nothing to offer you. They are not selling you anything that is truly worthwhile. They're selling you Coke or Doritos or whatever else that will come up. And all that stuff does is make you unhealthy. <laughs> it makes you need physical healing. But what Jesus offers you is eternal life. He offers you salvation that cannot be taken away from you. He offers you something that nobody can steal from you because it is eternal life and it is a promise from God and a promise that God cannot break because God is not a man that he should lie. That Jesus is the Son of God has been Mark's theme from the very beginning. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As you read, you know, when you, if you look at this in the Greek, you see that that of right there, the gospel of Jesus Christ, in this statement can be translated as either the gospel which Jesus proclaims or the gospel about Jesus Christ or as an interplay between the both, meaning the gospel which Jesus proclaims is in fact the gospel about himself. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel about himself because Jesus is the good news. And these people are flocking to Jesus. And this is, like I said, this is Mark themed throughout, even all the way to the end. Mark 15, 39, the, the soldier standing at the foot of the cross. Now when the centurion who stood in front of him saw how he died, he said, truly, this man was God's son. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Titus 2.11, Paul writes this and just very succinctly tells us everything I've trying to been saying here is, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. A 30-minute sermon that could have been said in one sentence. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to to all people. So what does all this mean for us? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the crowd. We are this crowd. So I ask you, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Are you sick and lonely, tired and worn out, hungry and thirsty? Come to the gospel and be healed. Place your hope in Jesus Christ so that no matter what, you, even whether you receive physical healing or not, you can have and stand firm in the hope of eternal life. That is the more important healing. Whether you receive physical healing here on earth or not, your hope is in Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he has and knowing that one day, no matter what happens here on earth, one day you will be in heaven where there will be no more weeping, where there will be no more sickness, where there will be no more trials and tribulations, but only joy and peace and worship of God our Savior. Place your hope in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you are here just an observer trying to discover what's going on. Well, come to Jesus and see that his, he is offering eternal life to those who believe. He's offering you eternal life if you will just believe that he is the Christ, God's son who died on the cross for your sins. 
and was raised to life three days later. Some of you here may be just playing church because that's what's expected. Come to Jesus and don't be thrown out at the time of judgment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Truly come to Jesus and submit to him and confess him as Lord of your life. Don't just play church. Maybe you're here as a wolf like Jesus. And I say I know there was wolves in this crowd because Judas was there in that crowd and he was a wolf. Maybe you're a wolf seeking to steal and destroy sheep. Don't be like the demons or like Judas, who although recognizing the sovereignty and authority of Jesus, refuse to submit. They, ne- they can never be saved, but you can. It's not too late for you, even if you are here with ulterior motives. It's not too late for you. Understand that you will never steal true sheep. No true sheep can be taken from the Savior's hand. And understand that in the end, you lose. In the end, you will still bow your knee. You will still confess that Jesus is Lord. But at that point, it will be too late. Don't wait until it's too late. Confess Jesus as Lord of your life right now. Confess Jesus as Lord of your life today. Don't wait, because if you wait, you don't know how long you have. The very breath you woke up taking this morning was as a result of God's grace in your life. He did not have to give you that breath that you woke up taking today. Confess Jesus as Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord of your life before it's too late. And maybe you're here, you are a true believer like the disciples. You don't fully understand everything yet. You are still in the process of being sanctified but you are standing ready with your boat. You are standing ready to serve Jesus in whatever capacity he asks you to serve. Come to Jesus and stay ready with your boat. Stay ready for Jesus to say, this is what I want you to do. Stand ready with him to serve him, to serve in whatever capacity he might be asking you to do. Whether that be go into the mission field or go to your neighbor across the street or take somebody a cup of cold water or speak a kind word to somebody. It can be anything. I got a wonderful text from Ryder yesterday with a prayer for me for this sermon today. That was great for me. Stand ready at your boat to do whatever it is that God calls you to do. Whatever God wants you to do, stand ready at your boat. I'll conclude with this verse from Peter. For you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Jesus is the good shepherd and guardian of our souls. Come to Jesus and let him heal you. Let him give you eternal life. Let him take you through the trials and tribulations that this life brings. Come to Jesus, the Son of God, who is offering you hope. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you love us that you loved us so much, that Jesus, you came to earth. You suffered. You engaged with people. You healed people. You suffered and died on the cross for our sins, for my sin. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that right now there are people you are dealing with. Lord, for those that need physical healing, I pray that your hand would be upon them. 
for Lord, for those who are suffering emotionally or spiritually, your hand of healing would be upon them. Lord, give them hope. Help them to feel the hope that is in you. Lord, for those who have not come to you and do not have eternal life, open their ears, their hearts, and their minds to receive you and help them to turn to you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.